Hey guys, well, welcome and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Mattel. My guest today is a self-described successful stoner. His mission is to change the negative stigma associated with being a cannabis user, and he has invested years into product development and advocacy. He's a founder of Meister, an octave high-end accessories brands that specialize in modern and innovative cannabis hardware. Davis Clayton Keel, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir. Thanks so much for having me. You're you're a legend, especially in the uh, in the cannabis advocacy uh, area. So, I, first off, really appreciate your work there. No, thanks so much, sir. You know, I probably you know you're you're pretty young, but I I probably have been advocating for almost uh, for two thirds of your life. But uh, I remember you were you were very early. You were you were doing it when uh when it wasn't the cool thing to do. Yeah, way back before it was about back in the year 2000, 2001. So yeah. You know, I went a long time where I was pretty much ostracized by lots of people uh, who now all of a sudden have jumped on a bandwagon and act like they, you know, um, have believed in it all along. But we know the truth. Um, your history is really very interesting. And I know that we are, are almost like homies because uh, you grew up in Maryland, correct? That's right. Yeah, I grew up in Chevy Chase, Maryland uh, from about the age of 12. So it's kind of where I, I learned my uh, learned my love for, for cannabis. Yeah, and that's really interesting, too, because you beat me by a year there. You know, I started when I was about 13 years old, but you started actually experimenting with or using when you were 12. Uh, tell me a little bit about that first experience. Yeah, I was I was definitely early in my in my circle of friends. Um, and yeah, I, I remember trying a bunch of times and not really getting high. I think it took me about nine times till I actually got high. I kind of remember pretending to be high just to sort of you know fit in. Uh, but then when it hit me. Uh, I just remember thinking, this is it. Like, I, I love this. I love the way this makes me feel. It just really just kind of felt like it was defragging my mind. And, and really, it just set me on. Like, I, and I also remember thinking, like, oh, man, I've been lied to. Like, this is not a bad thing. Like, I remember being super high and being like, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, why did I believe this was a bad drug? Why did I believe this was something that was bad for me or bad for society? And it sort of just set me on this path of, of questioning everything, you know, if they lie to you about that, what else? What else do they lie about? So, you know, you went ahead and did your junior high and high school years. Um, were you a a everyday user, or a uh, once a week user? What? It was definitely an everyday user. Yeah, basically, from the first day that I got high, uh, it was pretty much every day since then. I mean, I've definitely kind of slowed down a little bit. I still am a, a daily user. Um, but for most of my teens, most of my 20s, most of my 30s, I'm, I'm still still 30, but uh, in my 30s. But uh, yeah, always a daily user. And it's just as I've gotten a little older and maybe a little bit more busy, I've uh, slowed down a little bit, but I'm still a, a pretty heavy user. And, and by now, throughout those early years, did you ever really think that you would pursue a career in the cannabis industry? Or did you even think that it would be a career to be pursued in the cannabis industry? Yeah, I think um, towards the end of high school, I start. I really, my career was in the cannabis industry. I mean, to be straight up, I was in the traditional market. Uh, that's kind of, I had felt like cannabis was good for the world. And so I justified uh, breaking unjust laws and was basically like the weed guy in my high school and kind of 
got deep into uh, selling cannabis and, you know, led to a lot of legal problems throughout my life. But I've always felt like, you know, it was part of part of the advocacy is just to really spread the plan. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of I didn't think I was going to have such an overt career. Like I thought it was always going to be sort of secret. Um, but I love I love where it's gone. And, and early on, I mean, now, did you did you always have a fascination with technology and and delivery systems or was it just something that you kind of grew into out of your own personal use and realized, Hey, I could make something better than that. Yeah. I've always, I've always been like a, a gadget hardware guy, right? Like I, I just remember I used to go around the neighborhood and, and there'd be like trash days where people were putting out microwaves or broken stereos, things like that. I, I'd always like take things and bring them back to my parents' house and go in the basement and take things apart and use certain parts for other things and fix a microwave and all this stuff. So I'd always just like from the very beginning, I've always been sort of obsessed with, with engineering and architecture and just sort of hardware altogether. Um, and so that happened before I got into cannabis. And then of course, you know, based on the story I just told you, I just fell in love with cannabis and the whole industry, the whole community. Um, and then, yeah, like after probably, in, probably my twenties, I sort of just decided like, Hey, these are my two passions, hardware and technology and cannabis. And I, I want to figure out a way to combine them. And that's what I, that's basically what I did. And what was the first thing that you kind of created on your own? So the first uh, idea I had is what I kind of call it, but I had this idea for uh, uh, the thing called the stash tray. So, I mean, I can just show it to you real quick. Sure. Um, it's a all-in-one magnetic rolling tray. So you've got a container or container, grinder, ashtray, lighter, and everything is magnetized in place. Uh, but yeah, I had an idea for it kind of just through use, right? Like I would hang out with friends and I was, I'd always say like, why is there not a liquor cabinet for your, for your cannabis? Like there's all these, these pieces of hardware, even like coffee and tea, there's tea sets and like a really nice coffee machine. There's always been this like hardware around the ritual for alcohol and for tea but there wasn't ever really like a, an organization system for cannabis. So that's really what I set out to do. And it kind of morphed into this like magnetic organization system. But the original idea was like a liquor cabinet for your cannabis. Gotcha. And then that's what really, I guess that's where Meister was born out of first, correct? Correct. Yeah. So like the stash tray was the first and really is still the flagship product of the Meister brand. Right. Did you did you originally think that you would end up having stores or did you think that you would just be a vendor selling in other stores that sold paraphernalia and head shop stuff? So, yeah, I definitely did not think I would have stores. Um, I kind of, you know, there's other parts of my, my journey where I've, I've always kind of been a serial entrepreneur. I wasn't just in the traditional market. I had an eBay consignment store and I had a shipping center. And so, you know, as I as I developed the stash tray and it started to organically just kind of explode. I mean, online sales were, were doing really well and things were kind of going viral without you know paying for marketing. I sort of realized like, whoa, this is I'm on to something here. And I, and I ended up converting one of my retail locations into a head shop or basically like a boutique to show off my products. Um, and then, you know, things just kind of started going really well. I opened multiple stores. I had a warehouse. I had an office. I mean, I just, I kind of, you know, hired a bunch of people. Um, to be honest, I kind of bit off a little bit more that I could chew in the beginning of, of these companies. Um, and it sort of led to some legal problems, actually. In, in Maryland, I, uh, I was raided in 2016. Uh, our store was raided uh, for selling CBD oil, uh, which we still believe was completely legal, but it didn't really 
matter to the Montgomery County police. Um, but yeah, so I like where I'm going with this is I, I think I actually kind of made a mistake getting into these stores. It, it really, and through going through this legal situation, it was in some ways a, a blessing in disguise because it ended up like kind of pulling us back and, and reducing our you know fixed expenses and and allowing me and the company to really just focus on what we're good at, which is developing and manufacturing and selling innovative products, especially DTC, like on the website, direct to consumer. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're there, this is 2016, so you're right. And back then, you know, the hemp bill had not passed, so therefore CBD was not technically legal, being a component of the hemp plant, even. Yeah. Uh, but you, you you were selling something that was not high in THC, but probably had some lemon in it. Yeah, it's a frustrating story, actually. I mean, so, you know, I don't know if you've, oh, yeah, you're from Maryland. You probably know of the legend of Montgomery County Police. They really, really uh, take their job very seriously. Um, and so, unfortunately, I feel like they just wanted us out of there because we were one of the early, like, overt head shops in, in Bethesda. Um, and so they came in and they charged me using the Controlled D Dangerous Substance Act. So they kind of used like almost like a loophole where they charged us as if we were selling wax or like BHO oil, uh, even though it was can uh, CBD oil. So it was below the 0.03 minimum, but they used this Controlled Dangerous Substance Act to kind of get around it. And they rated us and they treated us like we were selling wax. I mean, they took all of our inventory, which was hugely detrimental to the business. Uh, they raided all of, uh, they raided both of my shops. They raided my parents' home because that's where I was when I uh, incorporated the business, which is just ridiculous. They came in with guns, which is stupid. Um, they took all of our funds, like they went into the bank account or they went into the bank and took checks for all the balances of all of our business accounts and my personal account. Um, and yeah, they charged me with three felonies. It was I'm working out in the court system. We found so I was I was facing 15 years, which is almost comical uh, for this level of you know CBD. Um, but I I ended up taking a misdemeanor plea agreement because I wanted to continue with my business and I didn't want to risk going to trial. I, I mean I really wanted to go to trial, but I ended up taking the misdemeanor plea agreement so I could you know continue with the business. And because of that, I ended up losing the civil trial. So they they kept all the money, they kept all of our inventory. Um, it was, it was a hard time. It was a hard time. That's crazy. And now, I mean, looking back at it, doesn't it seem insane that that happened. And now Maryland does have a medical cannabis, uh, uh law right now. Right. So you can, yeah. Oh, there's Maryland's cannabis program is, is popping right now. Right. They're, they're doing really well. Money is, is flowing in. They've got lots of funding. So it was, I kind of was saying that I, I think I was the, the last person in Maryland to kind of, you know, get hit with some of the outdated laws and the outdated situation. So in that way, it's, it was positive that, that I was the last person. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, there, probably you saw in my bio, I also, that was the, the 2016 was actually just the second time I ran into to cannabis problems or legal problems. Uh, in 2004, when I was pretty young, uh, I was indicted by the federal government for conspiracy to smuggle a hundred pounds from Canada into Montana. Uh, and so I was facing 10 years federal time uh, and we actually ended up going to trial and I beat the case. They ended up dropping the case, which I was so young. I didn't even really realize like how big of a deal that was. Um, but, you know, if I had lost that case, uh, I probably would have ended up doing like eight to nine years in jail. 
and my whole life would have been ruined. I, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I probably, you know, would just gone to a different trajectory. And so I think kind of the moral of the story or my story um, is that I'm one of the really lucky ones. Um, and, you know, it, it had to do with, you know, my family, like we, we had money to help defend me. Um, we had know-how because of like my parents are lawyers. Uh, we had connections in that way. And, you know, I'm actually, my parents hate me saying that, but it's just true. You know, that's kind of how the, the legal system works. Um, and from that point on, when I, when I got out of that case or when I beat that case, it really just like, it made me realize like, oh my God, like, I'm, I'm crazy lucky because, you know, either the color of my skin or because of, you know, the, the funds around me or the connections around me, but there's hundreds of thousands of people every year that are so much less lucky than me. I mean, you, I'm sure you know all these numbers, right? Like 2019, over 500,000 people in the United States were arrested for cannabis, almost 90% for possession. It's, which is really, which is really asinine when we look at the fact that over 75% of the country has some form of cannabis law that allows cannabis use. And we're still arresting people. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been, I, I pulled my, oh, I pulled my hair out already, but no, I mean, the, the idea that, uh, you know, right now in 2001, you know, uh, with the number of States that have come on and the number that are about to come on, that anyone would be arrested for cannabis is especially cannabis possession. Is just ridiculous. Now, do you have are you do you have retail shops now? No, we don't. So, because of the 2016 conviction, uh, we ended up closing both of our retail shops. Uh, we are in probably 600, 700 uh, retail shops right now through our distribution partners. Um, but the core of our business is actually still direct to consumer, uh, really just online selling direct to consumer. We've shipped to over 90 countries. Uh, we have a very broad international customer base, which I'm, I'm pretty proud of. And I think uh, sort of speaks to the movement altogether that, you know, that's that's where we're sort of lucky in this business is that because we're in the hardware side and not the plant touching side, uh, we're not really limited by licenses. So, we, you know, we, our warehouse is in Los Angeles, California, but we ship all over the world. And it's, it's really interesting to look at the data and see like certain countries that are starting to, to uptick and you know, through even through my travels around the world, it's pretty clear that there's there's just secret stoner societies in almost every country. I mean, even China, India has got a huge market. So it's it's interesting to see what's going to happen when when the U.S. finally wakes up and and legalizes. I'd imagine that the rest of the world is going to sort of you know try to catch up and see what's going on here. And so I, I just think that this this industry and this market is so huge and people just don't realize it because it's been so criminalized that that the users and the customers have to keep it secret but i do truly believe once we we legalize in the united states that this industry is just going to explode and it's going to be in my opinion bigger than tobacco and, and bigger than liquor I, I, but now i wonder though when you think that way and and believe, believe me listen to me I, I wish from your lips to god's ears that this happens sooner than later but if you had a yeah. ball, when do you think? I mean, you, you, you got to stop and you think about the fact that, you know, in the current administration, we have a president who was just elected who still believes that cannabis is a gateway drug and literally fired everybody on a staff that ever said that they use cannabis in the past. That happened last month. And yeah. we have an attorney, you know, a vice president who was an attorney general who was responsible for arresting hundreds of thousands of people while she was in her tenure there as uh, attorney general and didn't do anything as much as you know she jokes and and laughs about 
her supposed own use. Um, you know, she's done really nothing to see if she can stem the tide of these 500,000 arrests that just happened last year, two years ago. Yeah, it's really, it's really surprising. And of course, it's disappointing and discouraging, but it's really surprising. You know, it's because if you look at the numbers and just like the psyche of this country, it's pretty clear that most people want cannabis to be legal. Um, and, you know, politicians, whether or not they're, you know, their, their real opinions or their real motives, that they got to go by numbers. And so I'm really surprised that they haven't bit, taken this, you know, and said, hey, we're going to legalize, we're going to move forward with it. I mean, I'm sure you saw there was some comments from Kamala recently saying, oh, like, we just don't have time to do that right now. Like, we'll get to it later. And and as you mentioned, they, they, fought, they fired some of the staff. Like, it's really, it's almost weird. Like, uh, and and especially Biden, right? Because you you know that he was the champion of the crime bill. I mean, he is literally, in my opinion, very responsible for those five hundred thousand people that get arrested every year. You know, and and so morally, like I feel like it's his obligation, specifically his obligation, to try and fix this. So it's really disappointing. So you know, normally I would have said like two years, but I I don't know. You know, my hope is that maybe they're saving it for the end of the, the term. So then they can say, hey, we're gonna legalize if you reelect us, because that would be you know, a smart strategy in my opinion, but I believe it's going to be the issue of the election. I really think that, and I'm hoping that, you know, we hear it, let's be blunt and other activists uh, play a big role in getting that to be the issue of the next election. I think that, you know, a lot of people hoodwinked during this last electoral campaign campaigning where it appeared that, you know, Biden and Harris both made statements about, oh, yes, this is something we're going to deal in the first hundred days. First hundred days are here and gone and they haven't dealt with it. And yeah. I think they're going to keep kicking this can down the road. And what's going to end up happening is that you're going to have a Republican who's going to step up and say, I'm running for president. I'm going to change the law on cannabis, period, because I recognize the value it is to every state's bottom line. I think it's our responsibility, you know, like uh, the idea of of waiting for politicians or the government to do it is it's it's, it's taking too long. Right. The, the the it's and, you know, remember when remember when Obama was I might be getting all these facts wrong, but he kind of got on and he said he was going to bomb Syria or I, I don't even remember what it was, but there was something he was going to do. He was going to bomb some country. And basically the whole country was like, no, you're not like that's we're not going to do that. And they ended up not doing it. And it kind of was a proof of the power of the people, even on top of like the d democratic structure, that if we are loud enough and if we are aggressive enough, not violently, but you know, aggressive enough and get heard, I do think we have the power to really force them to do it. And so I think it's important for people like you and me and really the whole community to, to push hard on this. Well, you know, it's interesting. You said something a little earlier uh, when you were commenting, you said that, you know, it just seemed like, you know, there's so much silence right now, but that's what bothers me a little bit. I mean, I, though we seem to have, you know, little pockets of things that are happening every other week or so. I mean, you know, you you just found out, I think, last week that the, you know, the uh, Congress passed a bill on um, banking, um, but has got to go through the Senate. And will the Senate now pass that, which seems stupid to me, since McConnell has been one of the biggest proponents of hemp. You know, he's got to push the hemp farm bill, the hemp, the hemp component through on the farm bill, because he realized how much Kentucky needed to have hemp 
sales, um, you would think that the Senate would say, yes, come on, guys, this is like a no-brainer. Let's, let's change the draconian banking laws. But mm, there's not enough push from the ground up telling them to get busy, which is really starting to tick me off a little bit, though we have, you know, I've got great guests always on, let's be blunt, and a lot of people are speaking out. But it just seems like the masses just are being quiet when we know that the masses are increased their consumption in the last year by, you know, almost half. Yep. Consumption is up. You know? I think, um, yeah, I just think that, that uh, I think there's a lot, yeah, of course the excuses, there's a lot of stuff going on in this country right now where it's like, okay, let's maybe wait until, until we get past, you know, the last year and a half. Um, but I just, I, I personally feel it's just so crazy important. I mean, that number of 500,000 plus a year, like it's, it's impossible to quantify how detrimental that is to our country, right? Like, you know, it, as I mentioned, 90% of people that are, are possession, and you would think like, oh, it's just possession, no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. Like the normal guy that like walks to the corner store, picks up a blonde or some papers, and then gets get caught smoking a joint, he gets put on probation, he has fines, you know, perpetual fines that he has to pay. If he doesn't pay it or if he fails a drug test, he gets he violates probation and then gets put into jail. I mean, people are still getting 30 days, 60 days in jail for violating probation from possession. And if you think about it, like, you know, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I believe that you are really a product of your surroundings and the people that you're surrounded by. So by criminalizing this plant, and then putting users into jail and surrounding them by real criminals, you are criminalizing the cannabis users. And I mean, think about it. Like you go to jail, you don't have a lot of money. You meet a bunch of people that are you know, real drug dealers or real criminals. Then you get out of jail. You can't get a job because you're on probation or you're on release. You can't get a loan because of your criminal record. It's just this like unquantifiable pattern that just ruins hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And as you know, it's really focused on black and brown people, people of color, where it's, I mean, it's frustrating for me to even talk about it because it's the same deal. Like I beat a case twice, like huge cases twice. And I, I truly believe it's because I'm white and, and because of my connections. And that's just not acceptable. You know, like it's, it's not and so, so even for me, like, I feel like it's my responsibility to be loud about this, to be overt with my, my brands. And, and to be honest, like I, I have a plan, I don't want to really get too deep into it, but I have this plan of like how I'm going to turn the funds that I make off of my companies into actual advocacy that would work to lower that number of people that are arrested because it, it, everybody's trying to legalize weed and clearly that will happen eventually. And, and everybody's trying to get people out of jail for cannabis, which is of course very important. But I think, um, I think it's important to focus on lowering that number until cannabis is legalized. It's important to lower the number of people that are arrested every year for it. And especially when you have States like New York, now that one of the, you know, the biggest population in the country getting ready to pass, they pass their law and their law is going to allow for cannabis consumption anywhere you can smoke a cigarette. So yeah. you can walk down the street in Manhattan and smoke a cigarette, smoke a joint, and nobody can say a thing about it unless you're smoking in front of a school. And, you know, unfortunately in New York, there's sometimes you can't recognize, you, know, you don't recognize where a school is because there are schools in the middle of blocks and they're not that clearly identified except for maybe a little placard outside. So you yeah. got to where you're walking. But I mean, the fact of the matter is that they're going to end up having, you know, social clubs 
in New York where you'll be able to come together and consume indoors or outdoor patios in New York. Yet, you know, one state over and one state down, you're still getting arrested and sent to jail for doing the same thing. No, it's great. I mean, it's great news, right? Like, it's clear that we, as a country, we are making progressive steps. Um, but it, it's just, it's, in my opinion, it just has to happen faster, right? Like the, and, and, and you know this, like cannabis has just been used as an excuse, almost like a catalyst for police to take away your rights, your money, and your freedom. Like it's, it's, oh, I smell weed, I'm coming into your car. Or like, oh, we think this guy's selling weed, we're going into his house. Oh, he's got a bunch of money. Like this money is ours now because it was associated with a drug dealer. It's, it's always, and you, I'm saying things that you probably already know, but maybe the listeners don't. Um, that number of 500,000 plus people, that's more than all violent crimes combined. Like it, it, if you think about it, like cannabis is used, and, and I think actually this is why the Biden administration is very apprehensive about just legalizing cannabis, because our, the, the foundation of our incarceration system in this country is funded by the catalyst of cannabis in that way, where you, you get people, catch them smoking a joint. And as I mentioned, there's this, this progress that turns them into a criminal and funds the incarceration system. So it's just not as simple as legalizing it, because I think all of a sudden we're not going to have as many people in jail or as many people that turn into criminals, which, of course, we want. But the politicians and lobbyists don't want that. Come on, that the, the you know the, the jail and prison system in America is a cottage industry that has been a for-profit industry now for years, and it really like you nailed it a little earlier when you said it. It is to me, and I've talked about it on here, let's be blunt, quite often that it's nothing more than a reenslavement tool. It's been a tool mm-hmm. that says you can't use slavery for real. There's a way to enslave people by putting them behind bars, locking them up, so you do have them slaves to a system. And we know that 80% of those people, that 500,000 that you're talking about, are people of color. And this has been a way to perpetuate the slave hierarchy in America. And, you know, until there are more people like yourself who are willing to step up on the plate and say, you know, enough is enough, man. Come on. You know what I mean? If it it was good enough for me, it should be good enough for everybody else. So I I applaud you on that and the fact that you're, you know, um, wise enough to acknowledge that, but then wise enough to talk about that. Let's talk a little bit more about you know the two brands, Meister and Octave. Let's uh, let's 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 talk a little bit. It's Octane, right? Octave. That would. It's Octave. funny. I have a way of making brands that are hard to pronounce. Um, but Octave, kind of like the sound. Um, sure. But yeah, sure. so Meister was the stash tray, and really um, a bunch of I, I call them more like timeless pieces, where they're they're not electronic. They're more you know high end materials and rolling tray and grinders and ashtrays, things like that. Octave is this new brand that I just, we just launched um, early last year, uh, which is a a lot more technologically advanced. So the first product that we did here, actually I'll just grab it. Sure. Um, The first product we we made for Octave is this thing, which is called the Terp Timer. Um, And it's actually a desktop unit that senses the temperature of your glass rig. So I don't know if you know the, the, the normal process, you'll end up setting a timer and you heat up a piece of glass, like a banger, and then you wait on the timer to let the glass cool down. And then you put your material inside to hit it. This actually has a very accurate sensor that senses the temperature of that banger. And then you will go in and you set your preset temperature and it will beep 
when it's time for you to take your hit. So it's like kind of simplifying the process. Um, you know, this the ten year warranty. It lasts for three months on each charge. It's it's like more techie stuff. Um, and then the next product we put out was this thing called the Bat Pack, which is this right here. And this is a battery pack. Like it will charge your phone, like portable power bank that most people carry around. It does work, uh, but it has a secret button on the side. So you slide this little button and it opens up to reveal a rolling tray, a wallet, a spot for your papers, your battery, you know, anything you want to put in this little strap, but it's secretive. So like, you know, I've traveled around with it without any problems and it's sort of kind of like a mini secret safe. Um, really nice. Nice. Thanks. Thanks. That's got to be a big seller overseas, right? Uh, what'd you say? Big, that's got to be a big seller internationally. Yeah, it's it's actually, uh, we had a, a really big Japanese distributor that just bought a huge amount. Uh, supposedly, it's going to do really well in Japan. So we'll see with that. Uh, but um, but yeah, Octave, those are the two first products. And, and just to kind of tease what else I've been working on, um, you know, to be clear, I spent most of 2019 in China uh, with my factory partners. Uh, we have a team of over 30 people that are actually you know, under our company. Um, we've given them a significant portion of equity in our company. We don't really like treat them as just a factory. They're actually our employees and our partners and, and really my friends. Um, but yeah, I'm deep in the engineering part of it and really like spend time in the factory and actually develop these products as, as well as run the whole company. But um, with help from a bunch of people. I'm not, I'm not like a magic man. Uh, but for the last two years, I've been working on a new consumption system. So I've invented um, a device that allows you to roast material. So, you know, first there was combustion, right? Like you would roll up or you'd put something into a pipe that's been around for thousands of years. Like, you know, you'd see a caveman you know, smoking a pipe. Then, you know, 20 years ago, there was vaporization, which is great. It's a really great consumption technology. But, um, you know, I find that it's not very satisfying. I always find that I kind of go back and want to smoke after I after I vaporize. Uh, so I've created this this product and this system of hardware that actually allows you to roast the material. And what that is, is it, it sort of operates in between combustion and vaporization. And what you get is you get the best of both worlds. You get the flavor and the efficiency of vaporization, but you get the 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 the, the, like the satisfaction of smoking. Um, so that'll be coming out later this year. Uh, the first product is called the Stogi, the S T O G I, um, and I'm very excited about it. I think it's I think it's going to really cause a wave or, or cause a, a a disruption in cannabis consumption. Gotcha. That's nice. And then you got a second one coming. Is there another one after that? So yeah, the Stogie is the first product that that incorporates this roasting technology. Um, and then from there, we have multiple products that fit into this system of consumption. So there's going to be an at-home unit that's kind of similar to like a hookah, uh, and then there's going to be a smaller on-the-go unit. Um, but it all centers around, and I should mention this. Yeah, it centers around biodegradable chambers that have the flour inside of them. So uh, it's basically like a pre-packed thing that you put into the unit. And then when you're done, you can just throw it away because it's biodegradable. Got it, got it, got it. Nice, yeah, that will be transformative into the industry, I think, you know, a lot of people. I think so. Most, a lot of the people that I'm working with right now and like distributors, they're, they're pretty excited about it. And yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of feels like my life is sort of 
led up to this product and this whole setup. And, and as I mentioned, I plan on like hopefully being very successful with this. And then I'm going to take that money and the power that comes from money and uh, try to fix the, the cannabis arrest problems in this, in this country. I mean, but you do know, you recognize that the tech industry in cannabis is pretty much just a flooded marketplace these days. I mean, you know, again, you go to, if you're in California, you can go into several head shops or, or places there, smoke shops, and there are, I, I can't even count the number of different types of delivery systems that people have tried to innovate with. But then it seems like, you know, everybody kind of comes back to, you know, pipe yeah. bolt and something to put in it, right? No, it's definitely, it's definitely a daunting endeavor. I, I know that, right? And uh, I... I just from experience with all the prototypes and from testing and from focus groups, um, I'm pretty confident that we're onto something that, that will be revolutionary. Um, there is going to be a lot of like customer education and, and it's going to be hard market penetration. Um, I get that. And, you know, I'm not, not, you know, delusional thinking that I'm going to like all of a sudden change the way that everybody gets high. Uh, but I think that, as I mentioned before, this market is just going to be so big that, even if you have a really small portion of it, uh, it's still you know, a lot of profit potential there. Now, I mean, do, do you run into the same banking issues that a lot of uh, people in the industry run into, even though you're not touching the cannabis itself? But I'm sure you have to get some sort of, you know, maybe a production loan or an investment in so that you can get product made. Have you found that difficult? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, it's been uh, a frustrating process altogether. Uh, we've had multiple bank accounts, I mean, five or six bank accounts shut down, just basically, you get a letter, they give you, you, give you a check just because they figure out like what we're what we're doing. Um, a real problem has been payment processors, like as I mentioned, we're mostly an online direct to consumer. Uh, so we've had a lot of situations where we have a merchant account that uses, allows us to charge people's credit cards and they just shut them down. I mean, we've gone through probably over 10 throughout the life of this business. Um, but now we, we've, you know, we've figured out workarounds, right. But it's, it's been a constant annoyance of like handling banking, handling payments, um, handling marketing. Uh, that's a, another thing that's, that's a little bit of a hindrance in this industry altogether is that we can't just market like traditional companies, right? Like you can't pay for Google AdWords. You can't pay for Facebook ads. You have to really get attention organically um, because you're, you can't just like spend money to get people's eyes on your product. So it's been, it's been frustrating at times, but also it's sort of forced us to be creative and, and it's worked out. We've gotten a, a good amount of organic attention and um and from there like i think our customers are really engaged and loyal and um you know it's working it's working all together okay and what, let's, let's talk a little bit more though about how how do you get an opportunity and i'd say it's not advertised but you're, you're really kind of trapped in the word of mouth world right yeah well i mean things like this right being on pod, podcasts with you um and and also uh just you know, luckily, some of the products like the stash trace specifically um, was pretty innovative when it came out. So it, it really got attention on its own. You know, like people would tag people in the comments and um, we got on you know, a couple of big news networks and 
uh, a lot of like Facebook uh, groups and things like that. So, so it really is word of mouth. Like our, our, our customer and also just loyalty. I mean, a lot of times it's 20 to 30% of our sales are actually repeat customers. So, I mean, I've just noticed looking at the data, like people buy one product and then they come back and buy it again for a friend or they buy the new products that we put out. So um, it's definitely been a lot of word of mouth and, and we've been trying to really capitalize on that, meaning sort of promoting, telling people to tell their friends or to share on Facebook and, and things like that. So it's, it's been a part of the process. And I think it's, I'll say this, I actually think it's even an exciting part because we've been able to do fairly well being hindered by these situations. So once cannabis is legal or, you know, the, the, the marketing situation changes, um, I think we're going to be positioned in a really great spot. Gotcha. And now, you know, if you had to, again, let's just crystal ball that thought, but even when it just comes to tech innovation, I mean, even if we don't get legalization at the national level, we have legalization now in 36 states and the District of Columbia. Um, as soon as New York uh, full, goes into its full robust um, program, you're going to have basically a, milli, a mini Amsterdam, uh, mm -hmm. a huge Amsterdam in the state of New York. Um, that's going to, you know, what is it, 20 million people live in that state? So that state alone could end up uh, being you know, extremely lucrative in itself when it comes to technology and, and meeting the needs of some of uh, the things that are going to open up in the state, especially when you're talking about the fact that they are, you know, you're going to be able to consume in restaurants, you're going to consume in other places. So there's, I, I just, my mind just keeps spinning on the number of different types of products that are going to be available. Um, are you already looking at that kind of a marketplace and thinking about what your next move will be? Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of the, the products that I mentioned that are coming, like the Stogie, I think that'll be really great for, for inside consumption, things like that. Um, but yeah, that's what I, that's what, you know, gets my heart racing is, is the excitement around the innovation that's going to come. I mean, you know, you mentioned that the, it's a competitive landscape. Uh, it's definitely a very competitive landscape in the flower side. Um, but I actually don't necessarily agree that it's competitive in the hardware side. I think that there's only really a couple of big brands, Pax, Puffco, uh, Raw. There's only really like, you can count them on your hand almost uh, of, of brands that are in the hardware or the accessory space. And that's because this industry is so infantile, right? Like it's, it's still so early in this marketplace. So that's the exciting part is once we start to really like legalize around the world, all the hardware innovation is going to happen. The, the, the big money is going to come in and, and be willing to invest in the R&D that's required to really innovate in the hardware side. So, I mean, of course, it's exciting for us and for my company, um, but I'm just excited to see what else other people do. I, I'm, as I said, I'm just a hardware guy. I'm into gadgets. I, I love when other companies and even competitors put out really cool stuff because it just it just moves the whole industry forward. So, yeah, I'm very excited to see what happens over the next 10 years as as legalization spreads and then the innovation around the hardware you know, starts to catch up. Hey, that's really good. Well, I mean, anything else you want to add? If somebody wants to find out more information about you, where do they go? Uh, for me personally, um, I'm pretty big on Instagram. I'm on Instagram a lot. Uh, it's Davis Clayton Keo at Davis Clayton Keo. Uh, our brand it's getmeister.com. Uh, we also have vapecartridges.com uh, and octavehightech.com. Um, but uh, main main place to, to find me is on Instagram. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, um, 
At some point in time, I probably, I think I may end up, you know, my degree is from, is an engineering from the Naval Academy. And I've got a, you know, I've had a couple of proprietary devices that I've wanted to see in the marketplace that have still never gotten there. So maybe we'll uh, we'll reach out to you and see if you can help me uh, develop out a couple of these things. No, I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I am your guy for that. And I would, I'd be honored to help you with that. To be, but as I mentioned, we have a full team. I have four engineers that are really accomplished. Uh, and that's what we do. You know, I didn't really get that deep into it, but we make hardware for some of the other bigger brands that you, that you probably heard of. Um, and so if you have an idea, like even if it's a drawing, I can turn it into a prototype. We can actually test it together, all that. I'd be honored to do that for you. And, and I do truly believe I'm, I'm the person that can, could help you with that. Sure. Well, I'm definitely going to have my group reach out to you for sure, sir. I can't thank you enough, Davis, for being a part of Let's Be Dog My Tongue. You know, you always have a home here whenever you want. Um, so if you got something new coming down the pike, reach out to us. And I'd love to have you back. And we'll talk about it and we'll discuss it so people understand where they need you. One more time, give out the websites because I want to make sure people know where to go to get you. Sure. Getmeister.com, which is G-E-T-M-Y-S-T-E-R.com. And then vapecartridges.com. Now, the vapecartridges.com is a little little easier to remember. Sure, I got you, my friend. Well, look, you stay well, you stay safe, keep plugging away. And um, you know, again, from an advocacy standpoint, thank you for what you're doing. Um, we need to have more voices like yours ready to step onto the plate and take a stand. Appreciate that. I really, really appreciate you having me. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Yes, sir. Good. You take care. Make sure you tune in to the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.